Hello. Hello. And welcome back, hopefully back, <laughs> to Tacos and To Kill Ya. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we've got a freaky story for you today. <laughs> Peyton is always picking these wild ones. So, like, this has been on my list, and it's been, I'm one of those people that have, like, 17 tabs in their phone internet open, because I constantly go back and reread stuff, and so I've actually had a tab on the history of this place going back for a long time, and finally I was like, fuck it, we just gotta do it. (laughs) Perfect. I will warn everyone, I was just telling Sydney before we hit record, it is a lot. I did my best to capture all of the history. It is very not in a concrete timeline. There was a lot of conflicting information or go back and forth. So I tried to tell the story of the history in such a way that it would be understanding to everyone. But I apologize if it is not a clear timeline. I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) Well, I have nothing else. You ready for me to dive on into it? Nope, let's do it. Sweet. Today we dive into the story of what some claim to be Michigan's most haunted place. This history is long and confusing on the Eloise Asylum, which went through many names during its operation of almost 150 years. But what is not confusing is the many accounts of paranormal experiences here. Without a doubt, the things that happened on this property, both good and bad, have had a lasting impact on the grounds. Even nearly 40 years after its closure, just looking at what stands can fill some with dread or an overwhelming sense of hopelessness. But why, you may ask? Why Eloise and what made it so special to have this effect still? Let us tell you. So the history of Eloise definitely has a huge impact on why it is considered so creepy today, even today. It starts way back in 1832 with the population in the city of Detroit growing. A vote took place to create a Wayne County poorhouse, which was located in what is now the city of Hamtramck. For those not in Michigan or Metro Detroit area, Hamtramck is its own city that kind of sits within Detroit limits. Very interesting. We have a few of those in this metro Detroit area, but uh, it is its own separate city. However, the population here quickly outgrew the building and there was need for a new property, even though the land in the area at the time provided little space for expansion. So in 1839, the Wayne County Poorhouse bought a 160-acre farmland in what was then Ankin Township, now the city of Westland, and this purchase included a building called the Black Horse Tavern. It was known as a stagecoach stop on the trip from Detroit to Chicago. The county built an addition to the tavern, and this became known as the second location to the Wayne County Poorhouse. Of the 146 current residents, 
They transferred and housed only 35 people from the original poorhouse in Detroit to this new location, as well as housing a keeper and his wife. I thought this was really interesting, so I had to include it. Most people at that current poorhouse refused and did not want to relocate to what was known as the wilderness at the time. It was a two-day stagecoach ride from Detroit to the new location in Nankin Township. In case you're unaware, it is a 30-minute car ride with traffic. <laughs> so it's really not that far <laughs> at all. Um, a trip to the wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about what's there now in this area. But, like, I guess it's interesting to just kind of think that was 150, almost 200 years ago. <laughs> and um, it's it's pretty interesting to hear those stories of the area you live in. Because Wesleyan's actually not far from where I live. <laughs> so... They said that that's like a two-day trip. That train must be moving so slow it's moving backwards. Like, what? <laughs> is someone yeah. pushing it? Like, is it moving, like, by itself? Like, how trains normally move now? Like, where it's propelling itself? Or, like, is someone literally pushing them? Is, are, like, horses? Like, so, it says it's a, a lot of questions. coach ride. So, my guess is it's, like, the horse-drawn carriages, essentially. Um... I don't get it, though, because I feel like it's not that far. My I didn't only think... guess is, like, you can only ride the horses for X amount of time before they have to stop and take, like, certain breaks. I don't know. And then they probably don't travel when it's dark. Like, I have no idea. Maybe. That could be. I guess maybe, like, they required you know they didn't understand or weren't aware of how much these horses were capable of so they were only running them for like x amount of time and then we're like oh it's getting dark now we have to stay here we'll try again yeah. tomorrow because it was that's almost like, like uncharted land that's like my it's gotta be because it's only like 20 miles <laughs> 25 maybe it's that's like wild. really not that far <laughs> um, so inefficient. Yeah, and also it has, like, I'm sure a huge factor in, like, what kind of roads were there back then. I'm sure it wasn't, like, as of direct path now as it is was then. I'm just, it's very mind-blowing to hear that. That's, like, such considered, it's considered such wilderness at the time. But I also learned, because I was unaware of this, apparently, in my history, uh, 1832, that was only a few years after Michigan joined the Union of the United States. And so um, I'm guessing there wasn't like a huge expansion at that part at that point in time, if it was really just like the city of Detroit. (laughs) Yeah, so it probably was just like uncharted territory then. They knew it was there, but they didn't know what was there. Well, and there's, like, farmland, because we'll get into it in the history, too. There's definitely families that live out there in the farmland in that area, but I'm guessing that's just, like, Detroit was such a city, and that was all, like, country and farmland, and like I said, two-day stagecoach ride somehow, (laughs) so, um, but yeah, I had to include that. Like I said, I was just, like, freaking mind blown. (laughs) So the whole point of the second location for the poorhouse was to keep the vagrants, drunkards, and overall unwanted people in society 
away from the rest of everyone in that community. So the new Wayne County Poorhouse was created very far away from the city of Detroit. So as the city expanded, they wouldn't, it would be like out of sight, out of mind, essentially. At the beginning of its time in creation, there was really little distinction between the prisoners or people kept at the poorhouse and the mentally ill. The first known confirmed mentally ill patient to arrive was Bridget Hughes. She came to live at the Wayne County Poorhouse in 1841. She was left there by her family and would actually remain there until her death in 1895, more than 50 years later. Unfortunately, at its first inception, as mentioned, there was no real distinction between those considered normal or mentally ill. And because of that, a lot of the mentally ill would actually be chained up and kept on the second floor of a building that would house pigs. There were a lot of reports from neighbors in the neighboring farm areas hearing wailing and moaning, chains rattling, and it was kind of blending with the squeals of pigs and how it was super disturbing. And I found that on multiple websites. So I had to include that because I was like, that's fucked up. I did also see that on multiple websites. So I'm happy that you mentioned that because (laughs) it was like, that was the one thing that like there was no question about. It was the same story every single time. Every single time. (laughs) Same details, same pigs, same chains. Wild. Yeah. Well, so at the time, the only legal place to actually hold the criminally insane was at this place, also known as the County House. And I will mention lots of different names this place goes by throughout the years, so please bear with me. But it was also those that were insane were sent there from the Detroit House of Corrections. So they were only separated by sex at this point, not age. So basically all men, despite age, were all housed in the same area. All women, despite age. And eventually they had legislation passed to open like a state asylum. It was done in Kalamazoo, which if Detroit to... Westland was a two-day stagecoach ride. I can't imagine what Detroit to Kalamazoo would have been (laughs) at that time. But after years of building, they actually only accepted those from the county poorhouse that were considered curable. So it really limited the amount of patients they took in. During this time, unfortunately, the number of mentally ill patients would grow and grow at the county poorhouse which at that time was also known as the Wayne County Farm. We'll get into that later. But it made it almost unbearable for the employees, for the rest of the patients slash prisoners, as they were often called. So they kind of decided to do something about it on their own. In 1868, a two-story brick building was officially built to dedicate as an asylum on the property just west of the main county house there. In 1876, east and west wings were added, and by 1900, they actually had to build a second building to house those all mentally ill on the property. To understand kind of the population at time at this time, in 1882, the population of the asylum patients was at 307, and 224 of them 
were considered resident patients. Basically, that was their permanent residence and they would never leave. In 1892, there was a devastating fire at the Eastern Michigan Asylum. And due to this, a large number of their patients were also moved to the county house. The next year, the county purchased the farmland next door to the property in order to expand, and the first women's asylum building was officially built. At that point in time, they had only been separated on floors. They were in the same building. In 1913, the population had grown to 576, but by the time it hit 1923, the population had grown to more than 1,700 patients in just the asylum section. This obviously caused lots of new buildings to be built in order to house and feed everyone. So it was constantly construction being done. And by the 1930s, the land would expand so much that it would house 78 buildings and almost 1,000 acres. And it was actually considered to be completely self-sufficient. Before I go any further, since the history, like I said, jumps back and forth a lot, I just kind of want to explain the name of Eloise Asylum and how that came about, because it was somewhere in the first, like, 40 years or so, 50 years, that it finally became Eloise. In 1894, a post office was established on the land that was owned by the Wayne County Farm, as it was known at the time. Prior to this, there were no post offices, express offices, or railroad offices present at any institutions, and they felt like it slowed down deliveries in that whole Metro Detroit area. So the Postmaster General approved a post office being built here, but basically said, hey, don't fuck up our shit <laughs> of what we currently have going on. You need to keep short names or one-word names, and they cannot resemble anything of the current ones located in the state. So this guy at the time, Freeman B. Dickerson, he was the recent postmaster of Detroit and he was president of the board at the county house. And he was largely responsible for like a new center being built there. And he was looking to push this post office being built. So I actually named it after his only living child, Eloise, who was a four-year-old girl at the time think that's pretty crazy in itself. Just wanted to share. Um, but it's also referred to as Eloise, Eloise Asylum, Eloise Sanatorium, and Eloise Hospital, as well as Wayne County Asylum. So there's lots of names. But moving forward, I'm only going to refer, refer to it as Eloise. <laughs> so the property at the end of its time also contained a morgue and cemetery, which is said to be present, which is said to be the permanent resting place of roughly 7,145 former Eloise residents. The last confirmed burial occurred in January of 1948. After this, supposedly, from what I have found, a law was passed that any other cadavers were actually used for medical training from this facility, which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And based on information I found, the cemetery does still exist. It is still there. And a lot of the people in those cemeteries, their grave markers 
are only numbered. There is no name or anything listed. It just has a number, like one, two, three. Yep. I heard that too. Sad. That they were just the numbers. But I also read that there was, so there was like three separate cemeteries within the, the grounds. Yes. And I also read for, know for a fact that bodies were re- relocated from one of the cemeteries mm-hmm. to create and pave Michigan Avenue that would go through that area. Interesting. So they definitely relocated some of the bodies, but part of the cemetery is still there. And they believe it's the cemetery that was for the indigent people. Okay. So like the mentally ill that were buried there. Yeah, pretty fucked up. <laughs> when the property was first newly acquired, there's also like a school district and schoolhouse located on it in the far end. Which was extremely important since a lot of people in the poorhouse at the time were children. Oftentimes, their parents would die of cholera. And this was the only home that they would truly know because that's where they would go after that. According to laws passed in 1838, every superintendent of the poor was responsible for the education of children aged 5 to 16. So, a room was set aside in the schoolhouse to teach the children of the poorhouse. By 1860, a new official building was erected to stand as a schoolhouse, and it was officially declared its own school district and even started receiving government funds for this. But it would actually only last a few years before a fire on the property would take down the schoolhouse. In 1874, the children from Eloise were all attending state public schools, but eventually those children from Eloise would begin to outnumber the rest of them in the community. And a second school had to be built in 1880, and they did that on the property for the public school. The last recorded payment received for schooling took place in 1887 to Eloise, and not long after, there were actually steps made to relocate every child who lived there at the time. The state public school and state institutions, rather than those county ones, were the ones then tasked with taking care of the existing children and anyone who would become orphaned or outcast. So by 1887, there were no more children present at Eloise. As previously mentioned, it was also known at one point in time as the county farm, which is why they were able to be so self-sufficient. Not only was there a dairy farm and several piggeries, which, yes, is what they called them, piggeries. Those were like pig farms. (laughs) There were hen houses, a blacksmith building, lots of root cellars built throughout the years, and tons of farmland for them to grow their own vegetables. In 1875, a grain barn was built. And later in 1886, another for hay, grain, and stock, as well as a stable and by 1904 there was also a silo built so like they had their own full operating farm (laughs) and those in the asylum the county house they worked farmlands and helped with various jobs to keep the place running but the county also rented out or leased work on shares of the land to those in the community which did provide jobs when needed to those within that community. So that was pretty cool. In theory. 
<laughs> the asylum and county house farms were actually kept separate for many years. So they were ran by separate keepers and everything. Even when it was all located on the same grounds, they were separated. They had their own piggeries, their own farmland to grow vegetables, all separate. In 1908, they officially dismantled this and ran the farms as one single unit, which continued through until 1955 when the farm keeper position was discontinued. And in general, the farm was discontinued. In 1903, there is a very sharp increase in the number of tuberculosis cases at the hospital. So they actually set up canvas tents. I guess it was a big deal. <laughs> to me, I'm like, you're about to put these sick people in tents. What the fuck? But I guess it was a big deal because they were one of the first hospitals practicing open air treatments for those with TB. There were two separate tents, one for men, one for women. And eventually there was such a large number of patients that an audit took place and they basically said, you got to do something about this. And so they built Eloise Sanitarium in 1911 to house tuberculosis patients. There was one big problem, though. And basically, the people that were arriving for TB treatment at Eloise, they were usually in their final stages. Oftentimes, they'd be coming from other treatment centers when their own personal funds were all used up which would make them candidates for care really at the poorhouse because they had no more money. And the TB hospital, which they considered a TB center for indigents, ran until 1923 when the state of Michigan and city of Detroit began providing facilities. So as mentioned before, in the 1930s, the property and population both grew massively, which was actually in large part due to the Great Depression. When I first read that, I was like, why would people at the asylum grow? But it's because it's not just the asylum, it's still also a poorhouse, right? And because of the Great Depression, they had tons of people who no longer had the money or funds to live on their own and were considered eligible for the poorhouse. So I was like, oh, makes sense. <laughs> By 1934, the population there averaged more than 8,300 patients a day, about 50% of whom were actually mentally ill. And there was another 2,000 employees. So you can definitely imagine how massive this property and this whole institution is because they've got more than 10,000 people on their property a day. It basically, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I was just going to like chime in. So I had read that it reached a point where there was so many people that they basically said, like, you need to bring your own mattress if you want to stay here. Yeah, they like and they were shoving massive amounts of people in rooms or like buildings that are housing twenty five hundred people at max are actually housing like thirty five hundred people. <laughs> yep. Yep. It, it was, was like insane. Yeah. 125 women to five toilets. Can you imagine not only being in a place like that, but then having a fight to go to the bathroom? That would be a literal nightmare. <laughs> literal. And 
you know, some of the research I did, it did point into, and we'll be getting into it here soon, about, like, all these medical advances, how great Eloise was. But it is important to mention, as Sid brought up, that, like, they were very overcrowded. Despite how large it is, you have so many people crammed into some, like, little space. And actually, at this point in time, they really didn't have much for these people to do. Like, there are literally old um, Metro Detroit news articles, and they're covering about, like, the boredom that ensues at this place at the time. People are constantly just, like, staring at walls or, like, aimlessly walking the grounds or when they get passes to leave the property are getting in trouble and getting arrested. So. You can only imagine what's actually going on at the property at the time. (laughs) Also, if you've seen American Horror Story Asylum, this is really what it reminds me of. (laughs) The entire property basically grew into its own city. And as mentioned, included 78 buildings. It had a dairy farm, several pig farms or piggeries, hen houses, multiple greenhouses, its own fire department, power plants to run everything on that grid. They had two bakeries, a post office, their own 15-man police force, a cannery, a sewage disposal plant, laundry facilities, a library, and even low-rent employee lodgings because nearly 20% 20 of the staff lived on the grounds at Eloise. It's fucking, it's a lot (laughs) there. It's literally like its own city. They had their own zip code. They did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's its own town. It's insane. It's like really insane to think about because I've driven past what's left. And it's insane to like fully imagine. But in 1945, the place was actually renamed Wayne County General to support the advances to medicine. And basically, they wanted a more PC name, (laughs) even though everyone continued to refer to it as Eloise in the community. But let's not forget, since we're talking about advances in medicine, that another major boom in the 40s for psychiatric medical advancement was considered lobotomies. I want to preface this with, I have found this information on two websites, but I could not verify it anywhere else. I could not confirm nor concretely deny this claim, but it is claimed that lobotomies were performed often here, and it was one of the first major psychiatric hospitals to actually have that performed. And according to two separate websites, as I mentioned, There were underground tunnels that supposedly lobotomies took place there when it wasn't quite up to standard that they were still doing these things. I knew you would be happy that I mentioned the lobotomies. (laughs) I was more interested in the tunnels. (laughs) Oh my god, I... It was mind-blowing to me. I found some information. When I get into the hauntings, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) The tunnels are are 
I don't know. I have this weird fascination with, like, tunnels underneath the things, like the catacombs and stuff. It's just weird. Okay, so you have never watched American Horror Story, correct? Or not the Asylum season? Not the Asylum one. I've seen a few seasons, but not that season. Okay, so in Asylum, there are tunnels underneath that building in the show. And so I'm literally, Sydney, I'm literally doing this research, and I'm like, holy fuck, this is American Horror Story. This is that place. I mean, it's more massive to, like, think about, like, the building itself. But, I mean, there were tunnels to escape from, or not escape, but, like, going from building to building underground. Like, all throughout these grounds, there were these tunnels. And I think that they were sealed off officially in the 90s or early 2000s. But even when the property first closed, these tunnels were still fucking open. It's well, wild. you know, you never know. It could have been lightly based off of it. It could have. I'm gonna research it. They made a horror movie about Eloise called Eloise Asylum. <laughs> I did. I did see that. I was gonna watch it, and then I was like, mm. Yeah, it mm. seems like a D-list movie, but I might watch it. Yeah, it's definitely like a D-list movie. It's not. <laughs> Well, by 1950, Wayne County General was considered to be one of the best hospitals in the country. By this time, patients were benefiting from major medical advances, which included insulin and electric shock therapies, psychotherapy with real certified psychiatrists, and both occupational and recreational therapies. Occupational therapy included time farming, sewing, working in the laundry or with the maintenance departments on the property, and recreational therapy included classes in handiwork and even music therapy. In the mid-50s, that's really when the money problems for Eloise were very apparent. It may have been this great hospital, but it was also considered a very expensive asylum to upkeep. Right. So I think this is the poor house. A lot of people that are going there cannot afford to pay anything. And the hospital was constantly looking at ways to cut costs. And let's be honest, at that point, it was the patients who were losing out when corners were being cut. Right. Oftentimes there was overcrowding, like we mentioned or even with certain medical needs, such as, like, false teeth for TB patients, they were, like, cutting corners and cutting costs. So I can only imagine in the 50s, even though it was, like, this great medically advanced hospital, how truly awful it could have been for those patients. The 60s brought new theories for the treatment of the mentally ill, and Eloise kept up with everything mainstream. You know, they were definitely all for the medical advancement. And at that time, it was really the goal to return patients to society as soon as possible instead of keeping them for long-term care. So by 1964, only one in 10 patients became permanent residents, which had previously stuck about 50%. However, (laughs) it caused money problems for Eloise because the state only chipped in for psychiatric expenses after the patients had been hospitalized for one full year. So obviously the facility completely began to shut down in 1973, 
when the large psychiatric buildings were slowly evacuated. And in 1977, they completely shut down any incoming psychiatric patients. All the remaining psych patients were transferred out by 1982. And in 1986, the General Hospital also closed its doors. By 1987, all but eight buildings were left. And today, it is my understanding that only two remain. Uh, and the land has been used for various things, like a strip mall, condos, and a golf course. <laughs> I know it's been a lot here, people. It's just, you know, 30 minutes of just history. <laughs> mm -hmm. But to keep in mind, this place operated for about 150 years. Um, and it, like I said, only closed in 1986. So that's not as long ago as we can really imagine. <laughs> so basically, why is it haunted, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Um, well, if you haven't followed for the last 30 minutes, the conditions were pretty horrible at various points in time. And definitely has probably caused a lot of unfortunate souls to potentially remain. There were often complaints of employee abuse and regular beatings of patients. And as I mentioned, especially during the 30s, there was a lack of engaging things to do. Definitely a lot of patients getting in trouble at that point. When Eloise was abandoned, there were often thrill-seeking people breaking into the grounds and exploring on their own. Have you ever done anything like that, Sydney? <laughs> Maybe. Okay, cool. <laughs> that would, you know, I would plead the fifth. Um, <laughs> I will I say this. I once in high school went with a bunch of friends and I drove to an asylum in the area, which is supposedly another one that's super haunted, not far from where Eloise is, and the building still remains there. Um, I was in the car, <laughs> and me and one other friend, we decided not to go in, and all my friends got trespassing tickets that went in, so it was cool. I was like, y'all talk shit because I was too scared, but I didn't get a ticket. <laughs> So that's, my, that's my asylum story. I've never been in an asylum. Um, not the type of thrill-seeking energy I'm looking to do is breaking in and being in a very haunted place. Uh, not my ideal <laughs> situation. I mean, the place that I went in was actually with my mom. Um, but I don't, <laughs> know if, I don't know if it was actually haunted, but it was definitely like a abandoned home. But... And probably spooky. <laughs> probably still frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, when the people started breaking in, it was actually really before all the rest of those eight buildings that were starting to get torn down. And one of those breaking and entering events resulted in also an arson attack that did cause one of the buildings to be completely leveled due to the damage. So that's why one of those eight was taken down. There are lots of spooky reports <laughs> and uh, accounts of people. I found various like blog posts of people posting about their experiences. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking out sources. 
there was a lot of crazy things that I read. <laughs> uh, MichiganHauntedHouses.com was the one that I got a lot of people's firsthand experiences that I'm going to hit you with here. So, obviously, floating orbs. I feel like that's very typical of, like, a <laughs> haunted place. Um, the sounds of shuffling footsteps and the occasional wailing and moans or even crying without to like being able to pinpoint where it's coming from. There have been lots of paranormal investigations that have taken place here, even occasional tours. Um, Cindy, could you tell it's they're still running tours, right? So I don't think so. Okay. From what I got, it sounded like it was only, like, a one- to two-year thing. Because from my understanding, they're trying to remake the building and that area into, like, a hotel and, like, senior housing now. Yeah, and so there's, like, various websites up about, like, haunted tours. And I actually saw something on Facebook about them. So maybe then, because the one page that I was, like, looking on for the most part, made it sound like it was only, like, for one year. And then it was, like, these are our plans. Later. Yeah. So I found it, and they, have, I think, originally started doing tours in, like, 2018. But then I found one in 2019 where they did it again in October. So I'm not sure if that's just, like, because nothing's been done. Maybe they're still doing it. Just doing I'll have to it update in the everyone. meantime. Yeah, I'll have to update everyone, because if there's a tour, I'm definitely going to go. Um, I'll make someone go with me. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, so there have been a lot of paranormal investigations, like I mentioned. Often video footage is utilized. Um, they see shadowy figures, light anomalies that should not be there. There are accounts of investigators saying things have moved, like once they cleared a hallway of a bunch of debris and garbage. And when they came back, all of a sudden, there was a walker in the middle of the hallway. And I was like, oh, I would nope the fuck out of there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A walker in itself, like in an abandoned asylum, seems very creepy to me. There are occasional reports of shadow figures and even a woman in white on the top floors of one of the buildings and the roof. I feel like there's always a woman in white. (laughs) And one report of a group of teens who were walking up a flight of stairs and became freaked out when they saw a man sitting there at the top of the stairs just staring at them. But, like, they couldn't, they could tell he wasn't a real person, I guess. I don't know if he was, like, see-through. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) I know you're very hit or miss on these ghost stories sometimes in paranormal investigations. I'm very hit or miss, and I don't know if seeing an invisible man would convince I don't me. Know, I don't know how that works, so, like, that's why I'm very confused by that. Like, how do you know it wasn't just a person sitting there? I don't know. Because you turned into dust. <laughs> so, even without the paranormal activity seen by everyone, former employees and groundskeepers or security say there's definitely an undeniable feeling while being present as if you're being watched and are not alone. There were a few that have said they've never had anything paranormal, but 
you know, there's cold spots, there's chills, and it's just like this overwhelming, ominous feeling while there. A lot of them, even if they say, you know, they haven't experienced anything, they'll like it. They've admitted it's definitely just creepy in general being there. The most fascinating part to me, and I don't know if you would agree, is that a lot of shit was left behind when they left that building. <laughs> so one of the buildings that's still standing, essentially the first two floors, it's like a five-story building. The first two floors were kind of like remodeled. They had like meetings there occasionally for a while. It's been pretty abandoned now, but the top three floors were untouched. They literally had like desks, chairs, tables in like a dining hall area and even like a dentist chair and there's like bathrooms still on those floors with like soap in the dispensers paper towel holders as of 2018 that were all there when the doors closed in the 70s to this building i saw that there was like mail on some of the desks too like unopened mail that they just like left yeah it was fucking creepy right Like, I guess we're not going to pay these bills. We'll just leave these here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they were, but. In like 40 years, you know, this building, this property and buildings, they've been sold. There have been talks about like obviously a hotel or something. But even as of like the 2018 articles, 2019 articles I was seeing about those tours, all that stuff was left behind when they started running. They were all just there. There was, like, dust and plaster. Yeah. The style, you could tell, was from, like, the 60s, 50s, 70s. So you'd think that somebody, like, some owner or management or whatever would, like, clean it out at some point. But no, they were just like... Yeah. Just whatever. go through and gut it. <laughs> yeah, there's do like, something. Well, and then there's, like... They said, like, almost every window is, like, busted out at this point. Some of the windows and, like, walls have, like fake blood looking things that like because the movie filmed on site in 2016 and they like still see remnants of the fake blood there which is like fucking creepy to me because I'm sure at night when you're just like touring this place yeah you don't know if it's not look like fake blood (laughs) real blood it's just blood yeah it's wild um on those tours they've had people talk through spirit boxes and I just left because I knew you'd be like groaning (laughs) um they've definitely had people communicate according to accounts of people who've gone on these tours through spirit boxes oftentimes they're children which would make sense if uh that was like an asylum and poor house that housed a lot of children in those first 40 50 years people in near sorry sorry. (laughs) I was just going to say, I was trying to chime in before, but I didn't realize I was muted, so I was just yelling. <laughs> but, yes, the freaking stupid-ass spear boxes and the little tools. I just feel I like know they, you hate it. <laughs> I just feel like they always talk to somebody. They always reach someone. For uh, those of you that don't know, Sydney and I did a tour. Well, we did a couple tours in Chicago when we were there, and one of them, they gave us, like, well, they operated a spirit box and, like, a bunch of various tools. They Sydney- operated. Keyword. <laughs> and Sydney was pissed. She was just talking about how dumb it is because there's no way you get something paranormal happening every time. 
every time. It seems so much more realistic if like we just you sat there and <laughs> oh my god, don't get me started on like <laughs> ghost adventures. Um, it just would be like so much more realistic if like you went to it and literally like nothing happened and you're just like, oh, no one wants to talk to us. I'd be like, wow, no one wants to talk to us. And then if I went back and something happened, I would be like, oh my god, this is wild. But the fact that like every single ghost tour that I've ever been on, something happens and like it's not me. I mean, I get it, but also, like, for we covered the Lincoln Park Zoo, so we were at the zoo, so, like, supposedly there could be hundreds of spirits trapped there. Same here. It's true. There could be hundreds of spirits trapped there. So you're telling me, you know, if they run one tour a night or even, like, a few days a week, you're telling me that not a single spirit is going to communicate? I'm sure someone would be talkative as fuck. I know a lot of people, even in the afterlife, that would love to talk your ear off, okay? Which <laughs> is true. Including my boyfriend. <laughs> but I guess all the other ghost tours that I've gone on where it was, like, three people died and we managed to talk to them, too, every single time. It's okay, like... yeah, that's... It's a stretch. <laughs> that's why I don't believe in anything at that point. <laughs> like, yeah, I believe that there's ghosts are real, but can we talk to them like that? I don't know. Okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, you're making valid points. That's all I'm saying. It's just the ghost <laughs> tours. I'm a believer, but I don't know. Well, people report, you know, feeling touched or something moving by them quickly on these tours. Like, that isn't seen. I would probably pee my pants. <laughs> um, But one of the very interesting accounts I found on one of those blog posts is a woman. So her story was in 2016. She actually stayed in a shelter a few years prior to that, right next to like what is left of Eloise. So essentially it could be on the old property too. And she stayed there with her two children for a while. And she had some crazy experiences while living in the shelter. Apparently she like look out and see dim lights on and off at night inside the old Eloise asylum or like shadowy figures moving past the windows and the upper floors. And then even things happened on the shelter property. Like she had something, she was in the room by herself and had something move and like, like a soccer ball just randomly moved across the room and then like stopped in the middle of the floor And she said she had tried to, like, recreate it to get it to, like, move and just stop on its own. And it it wouldn't work. I don't know. I'm, like, a big believer of, like, things just, like, rolling and stopping. I was, like, probably paranormal. (laughs) But maybe it's just me. Oh, for sure. Creepy. That's a creepy thing to witness. Well, she had, like, a couple instances of things, like, moving or, like, feeling like she was hearing things. So then she started, like, talking to people there. And I guess, like, maintenance workers told her, like, yeah, we experienced some weird things. Like, our radios, like, in the basement, there's a lot of weird things. Like, our radios turn on and off. They don't work down there. Um, Things get moved often. It's pretty, like, eerie down there. Other people who stay there have reported like children laughing and running in the hallways like at like three in the morning which is like the witching hour (laughs) by the way and they'd look out to like see who's out like breaking curfew and no one would be there 
So, um, yeah, I shit my pants because also children laughing in the middle of the night is creepy. <laughs> this is why Damn I shouldn't kids. be a parent. <laughs> I'd be one of those kids, those parents that like kids get up in the middle of the night to like ask for water, and I'd be like, "Get out of here, Satan! <laughs> you are possessed. You don't belong pop here. Up in my room in the dark." <laughs> Get your own damn water. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty wild. I was like, I have to include this because a lot of people try to say like, oh, everything's fine. There's no haunted or paranormal experiences outside of the buildings that remain. But it really sounds like also the property itself could potentially still be haunted. And my last part I saved, especially now that you mentioned the tunnels, I'm very glad. <laughs> so, um, like I said, supposedly closed off in, like, late 90s, early 2000s. So, they haven't been explored by any of those investigators or tours. But I found on that blog post someone who had been in in the 80s when, like, they first closed everything down. And they would break in with friends. And there was a lot of, like, disenchanted voices shadow figures flashlights like flickering on and off or like not working and the feeling of being followed and it just like seems really overwhelming from like their reports so there's also claims that some of the patients when leaving refused to re-enter society and so some of them remained in the tunnels to live out their lives Now, one of these blog posters did say they came across someone in the tunnel and um, they couldn't tell if they were just crazy or homeless (laughs) Um, (laughs) living down there. And like, so they don't know. It was like in it was like right in the 80s after this place officially closed. Um, Cannot confirm nor deny, but I thought it was wild. Some of these accounts of like experiences in the tunnels itself before they were closed off and like the person was like it was very dangerous like it was just like creepy like a lot of laughing and it was weird tunnel tunnel people just get me all fired up okay they're wild i I want to start hyperventilating right now thinking about it because it's fucking creepy can you imagine coming across that well, that's like, I mean, real life. There's thousands of people that live in tunnels under Las Vegas, my friends. <laughs> and it is fucking wild to me, okay? Wild. Wait, is this a known fact? Yes. Like, I mean, it's you can Google it. Look it up. It's a conspiracy it's, or a fact? No, it's a fact. Like, there's people there. Like... There's the videos on YouTube of people, like, going underneath and, like, talking to the tunnel people. And they're just, like, people that either, I'm like... so fucking stressed up. You're not, yes, dude. You can look down, out, like, supposedly there's an area by Caesar's Palace and you can, like, look down and it you, you'll be able to see tunnel people, like, through the manhole. Oh, my God. So when we go in April, we're gonna look, right? Yeah, because I don't think I've been, we haven't been since I've heard about the people in the tunnels. Fuck, I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my night. I'm just going to be Googling. 
watch the videos. These people are crazy. They're like either like cracked out or like they'll tell you about how they lost all their money. And then when they get money, they just go to the casinos and gamble it away. <laughs> I'm so stressed, Sydney. Watch the videos. It is wild. The, the tunnel people are crazy. So I bet you that these people probably were like living under there because I don't know. I feel like that's just people that are homeless they run out of money they always resort to the tunnels i'll also say this honestly it's probably smart knowing like michigan winters i can only imagine it would be a lot warmer in the tunnels than outside that's a very valid point it's just so weird to me oh my god i'm so stressed again Do you have any other haunting stories or anything you found? I tried to dig so hard. Um, not necessarily hauntings, but I do have like just a a couple other things to add. Uh, one thing that I had read, what or that they had mentioned, like on the, if you go on the tour, is one thing that they mentioned, which I thought was really interesting. Um, is they talk about the strict rules that these patients had to follow. And some of the rules that were listed were that they were unable to control their shower temperatures. So they couldn't, like, make it from hot to cold. It was just automatically, like, a cold shower. Damn. And they could not operate the handles on the toilets. So I don't know if, like, the there wasn't, a to- like, a handle on there for you to flush the toilet. But it was, like, someone else had to come and flush the toilet for, for them. Like, the patients themselves were not able to flush those toilets, which I thought was super bizarre that is really bizarre and also like really mind controlling and manipulating you can't even like flush your own feces down like you might not have had like a mental issue before but you do now because yeah they just they fuck with your head um it said that there's still a smell of an antiseptic that lingers around the operating and the pharmacy area that's in the hospital to this day Oh, I did see that. That's creepy. That's super creepy. But I guess, like, I understand because it's such, like, a powerful smell. It just never goes away. And also, it could be a mind thing, which I was thinking, like, because they do have, like, all of the, um, you know, the procedure stuff there. You know, everything was left abandoned. So if you look around and you see, like, an operating table, you're going to think, like, that's antiseptic smell, I feel like. It might be, like, a mind game. It's still pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of things are left behind. I saw that even, like, a couple oxygen tanks were left behind. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck? Super crazy. Um, another thing, just to mention, they had, and the way that it was listed in this article was basically, like, not everything was terrible at the Eloise. Um, so, in the summer, they had a carnival on the grounds, and the booths that that they had at this carnival were built by the patients. Um, They also had a small coffee shop that was run and operated by patients within the hospital, but it sounded like they kind of had to hit certain marks. And then all of the money that they would receive from this coffee shop would go towards buying recreational supplies. So it must have been when they were trying to get the boredom levels up. Yeah. I'm glad you included that because I kind of saw, like, brushed past it. But, I mean, it does sound like at some points in time, like, they were trying to do things engaging, I guess. 
And I think it's it's hard because they were trying to do these engaging things, but when you reach a population that high, it's kind of like you can you have some people that are trying to be good and do the right thing, but there's always going to be those people that are not so positive. So there's just they had too many people to handle. I feel like. Yeah, and it's also hard too because I mean I guess you got to think like a hundred years ago got to think like how mentally ill patients and people were treated mm-hmm. um unfortunately is pretty gross overall <laughs> so even if they were saying like up to standard you like kind of look back and you're like oh yikes <laughs> that wasn't good that was the standard of the time it wasn't yeah. the right standard <laughs> yeah we got a lot of history like that so <laughs> man Anything else you found? No, I think those were the main the main side things that you didn't touch on. Oh, um, I have I have two other fun facts. All right. Sorry, I just found it in my notes. <laughs> um, so I talked about it being like this great like one of the top co- hospitals in the country, like it was this great place. Apparently, they were one of the first hospitals to use X-rays as a diagnosis. And it was actually home to the first kidney dialysis unit in all of Michigan. So I was like, damn, that was pretty big. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. So there are a couple firsts here. And it was featured on the Travel Channel's Destination Fear in their first season of Paranormal Investigation. I did not watch the episode. I should have, I guess, to, like, give you my opinion. But... I'm, like, very hit or miss on those ghost shows, too, so. <laughs> and it's so frustrating, because I really like seeing the, bit, like, being able to see the building and, like, hear the history. But then once they get their fucking ghost stuff off, then I'm like, all right, fast forward. Get me to the history <laughs> lesson for the next episode. They start bringing out all these crazy tools. Yeah. Well, and I think you and I have talked about it before. I don't know. I don't think, like, maybe on air on one of our other episodes, but on air on recording <laughs> one of our episodes but um we're big fans of the history behind everything so like you and I we like to hear of like okay this place is claimed to be haunted like why what happened there yeah and that's this place just had so much history it was wild <laughs> the history that makes it spooky is what yeah. I want to hear about yeah um, I definitely recommend anyone in the Metro Detroit area, look it up, let us know if they're doing fucking tours, because I'm going to do yes. research, and if so, we'll tell everyone to go. <laughs> Spooky season's <laughs> upon us, folks. Spooky. I don't give a fuck that it's 85 degrees here today. I'm ready for some Halloween, <laughs> so. It's fucking hot as hell today. <laughs> All right, that's all I got. You got anything else about the case or story? I do not. Gonna hit me with some jokes and facts? Yes, so I have a joke, and then I couldn't find a fact, so I picked a news article. Ooh, okay, I'm here for it. Um, I was having a hard time with the facts. Everything just kept repeating. I'll try again for the next episode, but... It's, like, very hard to stay on a certain fact area, so I feel that. 
Yeah, so I, I just found something else and that stuck out to me. So what do you want to hear first? Let's hear the news story. All right. So this one's from Little Rock, Arkansas. And the headline says, armed man orders Taco Bell worker to hand over cash in nacho bag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Off so, to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> so it happened on August 7th of this year. And around 9.44 p.m., the suspect had handed the worker a handwritten note in the drive-thru saying to put money in a nacho bags. So nacho bags, not one bag, multiple bags. <laughs> or he was going to be killed. And then the note also said that he would return in five minutes. So basically, he went through the drive-thru, gave him the note, said he would be back. He was going to come back through. And after 15 minutes, he didn't return, so the workers called the police. Yeah, I feel like that you just kind of set yourself up for failure if you're leaving. (laughs) Like, you're going to do that. Why wouldn't you be, like, wearing a mask? And I'm not sure if he was, like, sitting in the parking lot and was like, okay, I'm going to give you five minutes to go get the money. Like, I'll BRB. But, or go get more nacho bags. Because how much money can you fit in one nacho bag? Not a lot. Yeah, and, like, you pull off instead of, like, leaving a gun pointed at... I'm not giving... I'm not going to give criminals pointers. So, I'm just going to (laughs) stop before I keep going. There's just... I feel like there's a lot of holes in this guy's plot of his um, robbery. (laughs) I just liked the idea of put the money in the nacho bag. Because I'm not really sure how much (laughs) money you could fit in a small nacho bag. But, good looking. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Good point. Wrap it like a crunch, <laughs> crunch wrap supreme. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> if that would have been on the note, I would have been like, this is a joke. He's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. That would have been funny. <laughs> I'd be like yelling to the cook, did you do this? Did you set this up? That's funny. <laughs> you got me. I was fooled for a second. <laughs> Man, people <laughs> suck. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hit me with a joke. What do you call taco sauce protectors? What? Mild protective services. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Oh that my one God. I, was, I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't sure what your reaction would be. So I'm happy it was a good <laughs> like one. Mild protective services. Mild protective. Mild I got protective it. protective services. <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> Diablo protective services. Yeah, are there different divisions? I bet. <laughs> There's gotta be. Oh my God. I wish we had like fans that could draw or like would send us artwork because I really want like little cartoon characters of like a mild sauce packet with like sunglasses like the secret service would be wearing yes if any of you guys can draw and want to do that for me let me know i can venmo you something yeah we'll pay for it we want that anything with the sauce packets would be great (laughs) it's like my the original logo idea yeah With, like, blood pouring out. <laughs> yes, it'd be so great. You know, I haven't had Taco Bell in over a week, so 
maybe it's a good thing it wasn't the sauce packet because trying to break up that relationship so i had it last night when i was drunk but i'm so jealous so (laughs) (laughs) it was good let me tell you it was good i woke up feeling great today too and i'm thanking the taco bell (laughs) it always does it (laughs) it does it really does well that's all i got um i guess social media <laughs> like yes. and follow us on facebook at tacos and to kill you podcast on instagram at just tacos and to kill you you can find our website tacos and to kill podcast.com it's got blog posts of all of our episodes with links and uh some cool cute pictures of us as kids <laughs> so cute if you have (laughs) if you have an idea for a case or if you want to be on a on one of our episodes because you have something to share you should message us on instagram or send us an email at tacos and tequila at gmail.com yeah all the things oh and then um if you listen on apple podcasts We would love to see reviews, folks. We really appreciate it. And it really helps us get noticed by other people when that happens. Yes, there's a lot more people listening than there are ratings. Which makes me sad. Makes me really sad. Yeah, we want to see some ratings and reviews. So please give us some good feedback. (laughs) We've been trying here, people. And we've gotten no... Uh, constructive criticism so don't go to the reviews to do it (laughs) yes uh. well we appreciate you guys listening in on this longer episode and I guess we'll talk to you next week right yes we will bye bye Ha 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 ha!